You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, episode 44. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Welcome back to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. You are in for a treat this week. I invited a colleague and friend, Cassie Christopher, to join me on the podcast today. And the reason why I did that is recently I've had a number of women reach out to me to say, I've got no safe space to go when it comes to weight loss. And it absolutely breaks my heart. I have had women come to me saying that, Family members and friends tell them they need to lose weight, that they're unhealthy, they feel pressure to lose weight, but when they say that they are trying to lose weight, that they're taking steps to make changes to their body, that their body positivity friends get down on them for wanting to change. And it really puts people, um, women in particular, in this awful predicament of wanting to change their bodies for oftentimes very good reason and feeling like there is no safe space to go, especially if they have been burned by diet culture time in time again. And Cassie and I are similar in that we kind of take a middle ground approach to weight loss. We understand that there is more than one way to define health, that there is more than one way to define a healthy body, that there is more than one way to define a healthy weight, and that it is not mutually exclusive to love your body and also want to make changes in your body. And I think when you're out there in the big wide world of the internet and social media and there are just so many options out there for you for when you want to lose weight and it's just hard to find that place where you feel that you belong and you know on one side of the spectrum you've got the diet industry and diet culture which is trying to sell you quick quick fixes and meal plans and other things that you have tried and tried and tried again over the years with no success and know that that's not the right answer for you. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got, you know, groups of people who are saying that you are fine just the way you are and that there is no need to change. And Cassie and I are here to tell you that there is another way, there is a middle ground, and there is a safe space for you to come and explore all of these things and work on your health and lose weight as well. And so in this episode with Cassie, we're going to talk about all of the things, all of the lingo, all of the movements, all of the language that you hear out there in the weight loss world. We're going to clear up what exactly is health at every size. What is body positivity? What is intuitive eating? What is mindful eating? We're going to dissect all of these. We're going to talk about the pluses and the minuses of them. We're going to talk about the parts of them that we 
embrace and the parts of them that we think maybe do more harm than good. And we're going to show you that despite all of the confusion out there, there is a safe space for you to land if you're looking to lose your weight in a safe space that considers you as a whole woman and not just you as the weight on the scale. So joining me today is Cassie Christopher. She is a registered dietitian, an emotional eating expert, and owner of Cassie Christopher Health Coaching. She graduated with a master's degree in nutrition from Bastyr University, and she specializes in helping women 45 and up find the courage to trust themselves around food and learn to eat with joy instead of eating to seek joy. So without further ado, here is the interview with Cassie Christopher. Cassie, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. I am also so excited for this conversation because you and I have spoken privately about this, but the term body positivity and health at every size is everywhere you look in the diet industry today. Um, We often often also talk about diet culture and the harms that that has um, given all of us who who struggle with weight. And I think this leaves us with this, you know, very gray area of where does a woman who is carrying extra weight, who wants to lose weight, fit in to all of this? And how do we navigate the waters? And it feels from our perspective, Cassie, that um, it, it, it seems to be one or the other, that you're either offering diet culture type weight loss programs where it's meal plans and restriction and deprivation and suffering and all of the things that we think we need to do to actually lose weight. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have body positivity, intuitive eating, health at every size, all of these things that, you know, kind of maybe intentionally or maybe not, you know, give the message that we're doing something wrong if we're actually trying to lose weight. And I think what we would like to argue today is that there is a middle ground where we can get women to a place where they feel great and are healthy without going to that place of restriction, deprivation, suffering, you know, diet culture stuff, embracing our bodies, but also allowing room for the change that we want to see in ourselves in terms of our bodies and our health. So today, Cassie, I thought you and I could have a discussion about what all of this means and hopefully give listeners a better sense of a place they can find to be at home when they want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think recognizing there are a lot of reasons why women may want to be losing weight and men as well. I know I predominantly work with women. I think you do too. Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, oftentimes there's a, a, a conflict and, and I know we're going to get into this in the research and in the scientific evidence around whether or not people have to lose weight in order to be healthy, whether they have to see the scale change, whether it's possible to see the scale change, you know, in the long term, there's a lot of questions there, but whether or not those things are true, you know, it, I, I just want to point out that we have to 
hold people's hopes and dreams for themselves with a lot of compassion and grace. You know, a lot of the clients that I work with grew up hearing and believing from a very young age that they would not be, you know, loved by others unless they were fitting into that thin ideal. And so they may be doing the work to unpack that, but have some legitimate almost, you know, and I'm not a therapist, I'm a dietitian, but I almost see in my armchair expert type, uh, type diagnosis that people are struggling with like PTSD, even mm-hmm. related to th- this early scarring that they may have had, uh, around body types. And so it can be hard for people to, to say, you know, I want to not care about the number on the scale anymore when it comes to how I look. And then of course there's the, just what it feels like. Many women will say, I don't care about, you know, the mirror or the scale, all of those things anymore, but my knees really hurt. I, I, it's not as comfortable to go up the stairs. My feet really hurt. My clothes aren't fitting. I've got all these clothes that I love and, and they don't fit anymore after gaining some weight in menopause or because of, you know, the pandemic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it, feels to me like these extremes of you have to be, you know, tiny, white and toned, essentially, which which is what diet culture, you know, tells us, which of course is racist and ableist and and ageist. Mm -hmm. Or you, you know, you can't care about your weight, the number on the scale at all, and you can't try to get smaller. And, and, you know, something you, you said before we started filming that or uh, recording, I wanted to bring up is that that's so all or nothing. And there has to be some middle ground. And that's why I'm so excited for this conversation with you today. Agreed. And I can echo so much of what you said in there too, Cassie. I have got clients, for example, whose parents started taking them to Weight Watchers at seven years old, and they're now in their 40s, you know, full functioning, often very successful adults who are carrying all of this baggage and not necessarily even understanding that there is a different way to approach all of that. But when you have a 40 plus year, you know, history of being told that you are not a enough um, at the weight that you're at, because what is a seven-year-old brain going to interpret when mom takes you to Weight Watchers and says, you have to watch what you eat, you're getting chubby, right? I mean, a seven-year-old brain is going to, you know, take that in. And that's the paradigm you're going to grow up um, believing about yourself and your, and your world. And so I think this might be a good time to discuss what we mean when we say body positivity health at every size, intuitive eating, all of these terms that are kind of being thrown around out there as alternatives um, to the diet culture. So why don't we start with body positivity? How how would you define that um, in terms of the movement that we're seeing out there? Yeah. And two more I want to add even before we get into it is non-diet and mindful eating. And these are all buzzwords that are kind of in the same uh, the same category. And that's why I want to point out that people really have all the buzzwords so they know what it means when they see things. And body positivity is uh, this idea that, that, that you can be positive about your body no matter its size. And it really is at its core a, a, a wonderful idea. It is 
one I know from hearing some of my friends who are in, say, the more like health at every size communities, they feel that body positivity has been hijacked to now, you know, anyone can post about body positivity where initially it was meant to empower women in larger bodies. Mm -hmm. So, so that part, so yes, so body positivity, feeling positive about your body. There's controversy, you know, within body positivity circles about like what it means and who it's for, certainly for everyone. But yeah, for people who need to see people in different bodies, you can go to Instagram and and type in the hashtag body positivity to get some examples, which can be helpful because we're usually surrounded uh, by more of that thin ideal that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to also just add, just in case there's listeners out there, because we often talk to women who are living in objectively bigger bodies, but there are also many women out there who are living in objectively smaller bodies, but feel as though they're in a a bigger body and have, you know, some, some weight to lose. And I think I know what you're saying about the origins of the body positivity movement, but I think there is some value in teaching women to celebrate their body, no matter its shape, size, height, color, whatever it is. And I think one of the things that often comes up when we just throw around the term body positivity is also this concept of self-love and loving your body as it is. And I just want to put it out there and say, I have met very few women in any body who love (laughs) their bodies entirely. I think, well, it's important that we work on self-acceptance and accepting the body that we're in. That does not exclude the desire to also want to make some changes. Yeah. And and to recognize too, that some days the goal may be body neutrality, maybe just feeling Mm -hmm. eh, or meh about your body, you know, rather than looking in the mirror and wanting to like scream about how amazing everything is. Uh, And and so, yeah, I, I love that. You know, we have to remember that we can focus on something that would be helpful, like body positivity. Yes, that is awesome. Uh, But we also need to remember that it's valid for people to feel uncomfortable about their bodies and to, yeah, validate that emotion. You're not alone, that there is suffering there. You know, uh, my my community knows I'm obsessed with Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And one of the things- Yeah. I love that book, yes. So good, so good. Um, One of the things that, that stood out to me, and I can't remember which emotion it was in, you know, in, in one of which of her chapters, but it talked about how we feel social rejection uh, in the same place in our brain as we feel physical pain. So our body experiences that social pain to physical pain. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it makes sense that we would want to protect ourselves from social rejection based on our bodies. Yeah. And that, again, like, it's okay that you feel that way. Yes. And just to also take that one step further, you and I have both experienced with our clients, um, this feeling of actually being shamed by 
body positivity or health at every size groups for wanting to lose weight and make changes to their health or their body. And that is just another example of social rejection as well. And I think both of us in our programs try to create this safe space where women can come with all of their thoughts and feelings about their bodies, all their thoughts and feelings about where they are now, where they want to be, and this safe space where we can kind of work through all of that together. Yeah. A little bit of a neutral, neutral ground right in the middle. Hey, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Yeah. That there, there's a safe space for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's define, if you don't mind, Michelle, health at every size, we've thrown that term around sure. a lot. Can I share, you know, what I've seen? Absolutely. Research yeah. here. So health at every size, and you were doing research into the history, which was so fascinating to hear, but In its current form, you can find information on the website for the Association of Size, Diversity and Health that talks about uh, specific principles. So there's five specific principles to health at every size. The first is weight inclusivity. So don't pathologize certain weights, be inclusive of all weights, respectful care to end size-based and other types of discrimination. So we were talking about weight stigma in the Mm -hmm. medical profession. And, and uh, registered dietitians, there's research to show that that our, you know, my clan is responsible for perpetuating this as well. So wonderful, wonderful that they are advocating and shedding light here. Um, health enha- enhancement is the third point where they support health policies that support holistic health. The fourth is eating for well-being rather than weight control. And then lastly, life enhancing movement. So supporting everyone to move their bodies, not just moving for the sake of uh, of weight loss, but for the sake of feeling good and for the sake of caring for oneself. So at face value, really wonderful, wonderful principles. Mm-hmm. I think where, you know, you and I probably, and, and we talked about this, don't agree with everything that Health at Every Size points out is they have looked uh, at the research and, uh, and said that research uh, related to weight is often more correlation, you know, rather than causation. So weight doesn't necessarily cause these issues that there's more correlates when we're talking about disease or we're talking about mortality or, you know, these implications, these health implications of weight that we typically think of. Yeah, agreed. And I think like you said, it's on the face value. It's hard to argue with any of those pillars of the health at every size movement on the face of it. But I think research into weight, weight loss, the causes and effects of obesity, all of the things are very difficult to navigate through. And we know for sure that Carrying extra weight is a risk factor for metabolic syndrome, for diabetes, for hypertension, for dyslipidemia, for chronic pain, for sleep apnea, for mood disorders, including depression and anxiety, for digestive problems, for GERD, you know, heartburn, um, other things. It affects fertility in women. Um, It can cause pelvic floor problems and um, incontinence problems for women. It can cause testosterone problems in men. So there is actually oodles of science that suggests that obesity is a risk factor for these things. Now, all of those things that I mentioned are complex 
processes in the human body. There is no one single causal factor, right? But, you know, for instance, nobody really argues with the need to look at your salt intake if you have high blood pressure, right? But we also only have association and not causation in terms of the research of the relationship between salt and high blood pressure, right? I was going to say, Michelle, uh, right? people do argue that I'm as a dietitian, I can tell you, but keep it. I get where you're going. Keep going. The, the point is many, many factors contribute yeah. to a person developing high blood pressure. Obesity yeah. is just one. So does this mean that every person carrying extra weight is going to develop high blood pressure or fertility problems or diabetes? No, absolutely not. And does it mean people who have you know, a normal, you know, BMI as per medical standards will not develop these things? No, of course not. But if your weight is contributing to these things, then that you're not healthy at that particular weight, right? You can't, you can't, you can't define it. And although the research in terms of causation may not be robust out there in the medical literature what we do know for sure is that losing between five to ten percent of your body weight can reduce not just your risk but can actually reverse um, some of these diseases if you have them which is pretty profound and i think it's very difficult to argue against the fact that obesity is contributing to these diseases if you take the obesity away and the diseases improve hmm. right yeah you know i i hear that michelle and to play devil's advocate because i can't help it but you know it, it's the behaviors too right like it is hard to tease out the behaviors that lead to weight loss from the weight loss itself and so that's why focusing in, in my work with women, I encourage them, let's focus on the things that you're doing that make you feel good rather than that number on the scale necessarily every day, every week, that kind of thing, because you have control over your behaviors. Sometimes because of that, com these complex medical processes that you're talking about, you know, we, we can't exactly control that that five to 10% is going to happen even when we're doing all the things within our control short of, you know, crazy diet culture stuff like starving yourself. And so, yeah, no, you had something to say, do it. I agree completely with that. And that's why in my programs, we don't talk about a goal weight or anything like this. We, we use the language ideal weight and how we define that at Waza is that you feel good, healthy, energetic, you're metabolically healthy, and that it all involves a lifestyle that feels natural for you and that you can keep up without much difficulty over the long term, right? So that's, there isn't that. even a number or a percentage weight loss or a BMI or anything um, associated with how we define success in my programming. And I think that's why the Health at Every Size movement has that stipulation of eating for health rather than for weight loss, right? And I think 
I think that is crucial. And in fact, I, I can get completely behind, you know, that concept of teaching, teaching people behaviors to feel healthier, to feel more vibrant and energetic, rather than eating to see a change on the scale. It just so happens that when you do that, we yeah. often see weight loss um, come along with it. Um, but I think there's also something to be said about the mindset that comes along with making decisions around food and movement based on how it makes you feel versus how it's going to affect the scale at the end of the day. I love that. I love hearing about your philosophy and I see so many, that's why I have so much fun talking to you, Michelle. I see so many similarities between what you're talking about and the work that that I'm doing. One of my four pillars of my courage to trust methodology is listening to yourself and really connecting with what is it that your body is asking you for? What is it that you need? And so often when we're focused on that all or nothing dieting, where we're either doing something perfectly or we're not doing it all, you know, the yo-yo dieting, the weight cycling back and forth, the old way of doing things, right? We get disconnected from our bodies because we're using things like the scale, like apps, like meal plans to tell Mm -hmm. us whether we're on track, whether we're doing a good job rather than are we full? Are we hungry? Are we feeling good in our bodies? How is it that we want to feel? How can we get there? And so I just see that connection between listening to yourself and really identifying what success means for you rather than using some outside metric. Agreed completely. And in our program, step one, (laughs) step one in the Nourish, Nourish Yourself program is to actually stop counting calories, counting points, counting macros. You take the carb manager off your phone. Like there, there is no, there is no more of that. And I think like this, this is a nice segue back into diet culture as well, because I think Mm -hmm. today when we're trying to encourage this ideal weight concept that I spoke of earlier, I think it has to start with unwinding some of the trauma done by the diet culture yes. and the diet industry over the years as well. And I think the health at every size movement has done a good job of starting to change the narrative around all of that for sure. The dark side though, to the health at every size movement is like with any controversial idea out there, there are people who take it a little bit too far, right? And um, I have heard oodles of stories from clients who have, you know, chosen to believe that, you know, despite their joint pain and their metabolic syndrome and their fertility problems and their inability to sleep well at night and all sorts of things, coming to the conclusion that their weight has nothing to do with it and ignoring it and and just becoming more and more unhappy until they realize you know what they have to do something to change their health right and then and then it becomes something about other than weight right but i i think i think it's easy for women to use health at every size as an excuse to ignore some of the health problems that they are having 
Yeah. And, and I don't, and I would say, I mean, if again, I'm the devil's advocate here, I think the health at every size people would say like that, 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 that person maybe doesn't have a full understanding mm-hmm. because yes, health is in there. And in those four or five principles I shared, you know, health enhancement, life enhancing movement, eating for well-being, those things were all there. But, but I, I agree with you in that sometimes people, and this is, I mean, someone could listen to your podcast and do the same thing, right? Like just take a sentence that you said or a snippet of the message and then full on live that way. And, and so it's on us, the message bearers, you know, each of us with our own message to try to communicate as clearly as we can that yes, and part of it comes down to this seemingly mutually exclusive, seemingly dichotomous relationship where how can you accept yourself and also work and also change? How can you love yourself and also want to change? Mm-hmm. And I think we have it in our heads that if we accept our bodies the way that we are and we work towards loving ourselves, right? We can't just snap our fingers probably because there's a lot of baggage to you know, sort through. But how can we do that and also maybe try to change our health behaviors or try to lose weight, these kinds of things? Mm-hmm. And you know, that's, that's again, that all or nothing, that black and white thinking, that's not reality. In reality, we can hold space for all of it. A great example of this is Dr. Kristen Neff in uh, Mm -hmm. last year came out with her book, Fierce Mm Self-Compassion. And she likens this compassion that we have for ourselves to being a mama bear. And I use self-compassion in my work with people. It's a second of the four courage to trust uh, (laughs) pillars, uh, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, you know, surprise, surprise. And so people often are like, well, if I'm nice to myself, aren't I just going to give myself a blank check to eat? Mm-hmm. No, true self-compassion and self-acceptance goes along with this, mm-hmm. awakens that inner mama bear mm-hmm. in you to care for yourself the best way that you can, to give yourself the best chance of success that you can. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we need our inner mama bears woken up. Like I think so often, and I can feel myself going off on a tangent, so I'll come back around, I promise, but but so often women will tell me, I feel like there is a rebellious preschooler living inside of me. I say, I don't want to eat this food, and then I go eat this food. First of all, there's biological reasons for that. Dopamine gives you more mm-hmm. motivation when you put 100%. it you know, on your forbidden foods list. Won't yeah. get into that. But that rebellious preschooler, I'm like, that's actually your mama bear. That is your mama bear deep inside going, something isn't right here. This mm-hmm. isn't all that I'm meant for. I really believe that this journey towards health, weight loss, you know, health at every size, if that, if if, if the thing we're talking about sounds amazing to you, great. Go do it. <laughs> Go look after it, you know, even if it's not the thing that we're teaching. Like, I don't think harm necessarily is going to be done to you when you're actually following the, the, the principles, the way that they're meant to be followed, as long as you're not feeling shamed and you're not feeling bad, you know? So, so yes, like we need to awaken our inner mama bears to do what's best for ourselves. And I really believe that everyone can get to a place where they trust themselves around food. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just takes some work and some unlearning of this diet culture stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I always like to talk about it in terms of, you know, showing up for yourself and having your own back. I love that. Right. And it's, and there was this silly little book 
called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. And the one thing that I took out of this silly little book was this sentence. The author got into the habit of asking himself, if I truly loved myself, if I really cared about myself, what would I do in this moment? And I think like that's such a beautiful question to ask yourself when you are in one of those food struggles where, you know, you want the cookie and you don't want the cookie at the Mm -hmm. same time, you know, asking yourself, if I really loved myself, what would I do in this moment? And if I really loved myself and I say no to this cookie, what is it that I really need to give myself you know, right now. And I think like, I think that's the very definition of self-compassion as well. Right. And I think that is the, the biggest and most crucial part when it comes to weight loss as well. Right. Because I'm sure this is true for a lot of your clients, maybe not because, you know, you approach this as a dietitian, I approach this as a coach, but many of my clients know how to eat well, If I were to ask them, can you like write me down a healthy meal plan for today? Nobody has problems doing that. Right. And in fact, many of my clients will say it's like my breakfast, lunch and dinner are perfect. Mm -hmm. It's everything that happens in between um, and in the evenings, which is which is where I struggle. Right. And this comes back to what we started at the start of this episode, you know, talking about women who grow up as young girls carrying certain messages about how they think their body should look and how how they eat, you're carrying around all of that. There is, you know, the dopamine whole reward system going on in the brain that is perpetuated by processed foods, right? And all of the other stuff, you know, playing into this. And there's so much unwinding um, that we have to do to really understand why we can't trust ourselves around yes. food, why we're relating to food in a way that doesn't feel comfortable to ourselves. And we've got to navigate ourselves through that that before we can do anything else. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just, I love that, Michelle. So comforting. And, you know, the, the one thing I want to say kind of in addition to that, that great, honestly, I'm, I'm a feeler, you know, my entry into this world was with emotional eating. So Mm -hmm. when you just said that, I was like, ah, that felt good. You know, like that felt peaceful and calming. Like there is hope. And the one thing I want to say for people who are like, okay, Michelle, really like in the middle of reaching for the cookie, when I have that primal need to reach, I'm going to think about some quote and Well, no, but there's, there's practices that have to go around all of this, right? So I think, and, you know, one of the terms that we wanted to talk about was mindful eating. Mm -hmm. And I think mindfulness in general as a concept um, is important here because of course you can't just snap your fingers and, you know, remove your hand. Like most of the time for most of us, and I know because I'm a lifetime emotional eater as well, is that you don't realize you're doing it till the bag of chips is halfway gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's all sorts of work that needs to be done around awareness. Um, I love that as well. So in, you know, ways of health, we do so much journaling, right. Around around what we're thinking and what we're feeling around, you know, these circumstances after the fact, Mm -hmm. right. And then once you get some awareness of, 
um, how you're using food, why you're using food, when you tend to use food, then we're able to utilize some strategies to catch ourselves before our hand is in the cookie jar, so to speak. Yes, right. And, so and I love everything you're saying. And, and what what I think of is something I often say, which is the goal isn't to stop yourself from taking your hand, you know, from putting your hand in the cookie jar in that moment. The goal is to take such good care of yourself kind of generally and before that you maybe don't even get the impulse to put your hand in the cookie jar. Exactly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, I think this might be a great segue into yeah. talking about intuitive eating mm -hmm. and mindful eating, because I think um, on the face of it, these things sound very attractive as well. But to mm -hmm. somebody who has disordered eating at baseline, it's it's mucky waters. So let's talk about the definition of intuitive eating and mindful eating and take it from there. Sure. You know, mindful eating certainly is applying some of these same principles we've talked about with that awareness and recognition of what's going on around you to food and a really kind of famous textbook type mindful eating exercises with a raisin a or a Hershey's kiss. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it on your tongue, go through the five senses, you know, smell mm -hmm. it, taste it, all of that. Like really uh, often I'll tell my clients to savor your food, give yourself permission to eat it and then savor it. And that is part of uh, something you can get from mindful eating. Yes. How would you define intuitive eating, Michelle? Well, before we go there, I just oh, want please. to go back to the mindful eating and say how powerful it can actually be um, as a tool. So yeah. one of the things I teach my clients to do is to try yeah. to sit down with most meals and eat without distraction um, so that you're able to pay attention to how you're feeling, how your food is tasting, what the experience of eating is, and when you're satisfied, right? Important. But I think one of the tools that we use to start to unwind diet culture trauma is what I call it is yeah. um, we do a joy eat every week, every week in, in my program. And this is where you take a food that you love that would have been on your forbidden list, you know, mm -hmm. back in your old diet days and you sit down and you enjoy every single bite. Love and that. On times when clients feel particularly motivated, we call it the tedious, powerful process because it is tedious and powerful, but you sit down and actually journal about the experience of every bite and just wow. notice what happens as you go through. And people will often have quite profound insights into um, their relationship with that particular food item when they go, um, when they go through this process. And mm. so um, I never teach people to do every anything all of the time. I, I think that that's an impossible ideal um, to reach for. Right. So like all or nothing. Exercises into mindful eating, right? And um, to, to segue back into intuitive eating, I 
have not done a ton of reading around this only because I am a woman in a bigger body who has had a disordered uh, relationship with food in the past, has had an eating disorder um, in the past. And I get triggered when I read, you know, some of this stuff. But when you ask somebody on the street, um, so I'll ask my clients all the time, what do you think intuitive eating is? And they'll say, eating whatever I want, whenever I want, right? So I think that that is the layperson's interpretation of, of intuitive eating. Um, in reality, a lot of the um, concepts we're discussing here are part of the intuitive eating package, really. So I would love to hear your definition of intuitive eating and your experience um, with it as well, because I find I still get quite triggered when I, um, when, when I, when I think about it. Yeah, I think I think what you said about the layperson's uh, view of eating whatever I want, whenever I want, and uh, it, and that comes from the original intuitive eating book that came out, I think, in 1995. And and the original writers of that are still, you know, going strong and sharing their body of work. It is one of the first few chapters is they recommend giving yourself permission to eat whatever you want whenever you want it. Mm -hmm. And as a, uh, as a, I think really what it is, is teaching you like that actually doesn't feel good. You know, when you're also listening, you might notice, wow, that really doesn't feel good. And then over time, the idea is you'll start to notice that you actually want some quinoa or you actually want some carrots or what have you. And, you know, my, personal experience in working with women who are peri and postmenopausal, who've been dieting for decades, they can't go. I think that the goal someday is to be able to eat based on your cues, but your body and your mindset has to be very healed. That the amount of trust with yourself that it takes to be able to make consistently healthy choices that way, you Mm -hmm. have to do a lot of work around, like we've talked about, unlearning these diet culture things, calming your nervous system, because like you said, that diet culture trauma ramps up the nervous system mm-hmm. and, and you know, starving yourself ramps up the nervous system. I, I would say, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, women can make their own eating plans. And yes, I think people do know what to do, but they don't generally eat enough food and they don't, you know, they're skipping meals and not eating frequently enough. And that's causing the nervous system system again, to feel very on edge. And when your nervous system is on edge, you're having more of the stress hormone cortisol. Cortisol is causing more of these cravings. You're reaching for this food. So you really can't intuitively eat until you calm your nervous system. And I would, and and what, what do you know? That's the first pillar of my courage to trust method. Uh, And it goes hand in hand really with self-compassion, which I talked about earlier, because then your kindness to yourself calms the, the, the thoughts, the self-criticism that can also ramp up your nervous system and creates a safe space within your body to feel your emotions so that you don't have to reach for food. And a lot of that really is included in the 10 principles of intuitive eating. And people can just type that into Google to find them. But uh, one of them is to cope with your emotions with kindness, respect your body, you know, honor your health with gentle nutrition. So there are a lot of these concepts that we're talking about really are involved in intuitive eating. 
And, and yet, you know, I, in my work with people, I find that it feels a lot more comfortable when we can calm the nervous system, heal that diet culture, you know, shenanigans that have made things go astray, deal with some of the mindset issues. And I know that that's your specialty as well, uh, so that people can feel safe enough to listen to themselves my third principle uh, of the courage of trust method uh, listen to themselves so that they can tell what they need and when they're full and when they're hungry and and then they get the courage to trust then they have the ability to trust themselves when they are full that they can stop so i think i love intuitive eating i love mindful eating i think i love how you called them tools i think skills you know could also be another way to describe it uh but in my work with people i would say it's not the starting place it's more the goal, you know, kind of the long-term goal that we're working towards mm -hmm. uh, because we live in a world where, I mean, exactly like you said, you know, you can't do everything all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to recognize their slow, slow progress, but also as a dietitian and intuitive eating was created by dietitians, but now, you know, kind of everyone uh, has their own take on it, mm -hmm. but often I will see Coach, you know, well-meaning coaches, uh, rec intuitive eating coaches, recommending things for people to eat that doesn't help them balance their blood sugar, that doesn't help them eat regularly. And so then that's harming the nervous system even more. And so uh, I, you know, am a little skeptical of the implementation probably um, more than the process itself. Yeah, I I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said in regards to intuitive eating. And I like looking at it um, as maybe a goal for yeah. down the road, you know, rather than something to try to do right now, especially if you have been cyclical dieting for yeah. decades on end and have that diet trauma um, still living alive inside you. Um, I think intuitive eating isn't possible until you heal um, all of those, those pieces of yourself. And we've spoken a lot about the role the nervous system plays in all of this. Um, and I love teaching about that in my programs as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love to talk about most is, is kind of our brain having two different systems, right? We've got um, the primitive brain, which is where a lot of, you know, the whole dopamine stuff happens, where um, habits are formed, where all of this stuff that we carry forward from childhood is stormed and we are stored. And we've got the, you know, the, the prefrontal cortex that is actually able to make decisions to, you know, deliberate and weigh pros and cons and, and decide. And I think like the, the, the truth of it is many of us are eating according to that primitive brain. And I like to call that primitive brain, like a sleazy car salesman, cause it'll say whatever it has to say to get you to do the thing that it thinks is going to keep you safe. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, we have got to, um, with that part of the brain, um, as well and understand that there's some reasons why we might have urges to eat, um, mm -hmm. eat certain way. And it's, it's not our fault. So I think there's lots of, lots of self-judgment. And again, this comes from diet culture because yes. how does our culture in general view people living in bigger bodies? 
that we're lazy, that we lack discipline, that we, you know, don't, don't have, have willpower or self-control. Yeah. Right? All, all of these things, which as anybody who's, who has extra weight knows that is so not true. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and so I think, um, we carry a lot of that um, as women carrying extra weight because it's all that we hear um, out there in the world. And one of the things that I love about this new movement towards um, health at every size and and, um, body acceptance and all the things is that we're now giving a voice to people who live in bigger bodies. And we're starting to able, we're, we're able to start changing the narrative on what this all means and address um, the stigmatization that um, people in overweight bodies experience. And I read a stat, I, I forget the number exactly, but they've done a several studies, um, mostly in the world of medicine for how people in bigger bodies are treated by healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. And that weight discrimination is more prevalent than discrimination based on race, um, wow. gender or age. I forget the, the actual number. Sure. Um, it absolutely floored me um, to read this. And, you know, you had mentioned before of um, being aware of your privilege of not, you know, not having to be on the receiving end of weight discrimination, but I have, right? Mm-hmm. My whole life, um, I have been overweight and I have heard all of the things. In fact, in my first podcast episode, I talked about my dating history and the things that men had said to me um, Mm. in regards to my weight and the things that I still hear, um, you know, day to day and people making assumptions um, that I am lazy because I'm fat. And I'll tell you, I am a full-time practicing emergency physician. I'm the chief of my department. I run a business. I am anything but lazy. I was up at 530 this morning to be at the gym for six, right? Um, I am, I am absolutely not the definition of lazy. And yet this is still um, how I'm seen by, by a large proportion of the population. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on what you think our job is as healthcare professionals, as you know, me as a physician and you as a dietitian to start to educate um, the public and people within our professions about the realities of living in a bigger body. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I I appreciate you sharing your experience. And certainly I mentioned, and I think it was off off camera, that uh, part of my frustration with health at every size is that it can be a movement that's really rooted in advocacy that is wonderful, but hard to implement with my clients, you know, with advocacy, because with advocacy, when you're uh, outside of the beliefs, like health at every size would believe that pursuing weight loss in any form is harmful. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't believe that. And yet, you know, I'm not someone as a, you know, white woman and, and I am living in a larger body. Uh, but for most of my life, uh, that was not the case. And so I don't have those same experiences. There's a lot of privilege there and, and just 
just re- recognizing that I think in all of us, the places that we have privilege is really important. But, you know, for me, it, it's a tricky thing to talk about weight loss because my clients want weight loss. Certainly I can, for most people, I can help them lose weight. You know, my method is really to work on creating a supportive relationship with food, body and health so that you can eat with joy rather than eating to seek joy. Mm-hmm. And once you're in a place where you trust yourself around food and you're eating with with joy, you can, uh, number one, you likely will have lost weight in my experience when you're following, you know, my methodology, because, okay, yep. I can't help it. The, the yep. fourth piece of courage to trust is boosting your metabolism. So go. we've got all four, haven't we now? <laughs> You've got them all. You've collected them all. You all get a trading card at this point. <laughs> Um, but, but I know I laughed every time it's come up because I feel like I'm doing it on purpose, but I'm not, I'm I'm actually not, I'm not that good at promoting myself, believe it or not. Uh, but, but the, the point here being when you're, you know, boosting your metabolism, you're, you're likely going to be losing weight. And I know your recommendations often lead to this as well. And when you don't, then you can look and see what's going on? Are there thyroid issues? Are there, you know, gut issues? Are there inflammation? And you can, you know, work towards treating that, whether it be together or with another healthcare provider. And, and so it, when you have that supportive relationship with food, you're able to trust yourself to make the choices that are going to be good. And maybe even you can try some of those dieting strategies that would have been harmful before from a foundation of, you know, feeling good in your body and knowing what's good for you, or maybe not. Maybe you realize going after dieting isn't good for you, right? Mm -hmm. Once you have that supportive relationship with your body and food, you can make that choice. And so, you know, back to your question, when I'm talking about weight loss. I'm carrying all of that with me. And so I just try to make sure, and I know you do too, that I'm not telling people that they have to lose weight, that they can't love themselves until they lose weight, because that's not true. Let's love ourselves now. And then out of that, we can decide what the best next step is. Of course. And I also have trouble marketing. And I think I'm guessing you're going to be able to relate to this because neither of us really sell weight loss, right? Like we sell health, we sell learning how to listen to your body, we sell healing your emotional issues around food, Um, we sell, you know, healing the metabolism, right? Like um, rebalancing the ghrelin and the leptin and all of the other hormones and, you know, kind of addressing all of these things that have weight loss as a side effect, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not the absolute goal. And unfortunately, we're still um, in society at this point where it's difficult to get people on board with this process, right? Um, Women who are living in bigger bodies who want to lose weight, A, either want to lose it because they think they have to, to have value in society or to find love or, you know, Mm -hmm. to get their job promotion or whatever it is. And they're called to the diet industry because they're offering quick fixes or fast fixes or, you know, things that you've heard over and over again in popular media that it sounds familiar. And here you and I and other, you know, coaches like us are offering this alternative pathway that is so much more than weight loss. And so how the hell do you market that um, to people who just want to lose 10 pounds, right? Mm. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. Good question. And if you find out the answer, let me know. Right, I will. Because <laughs> I, I think I think that's what we're we're trying to offer here, right? Like we're 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 trying to show women that you know, first of all, it's not their fault that they're in a bigger body. There are so many things that are happening on a personal level and mm -hmm. at a cultural level, never mind what the food industry is right. <laughs> you yeah. know, doing and, and the types of foods that are um, most convenient and available for us to get. I mean, all of these things, it's very complex, right? And so women have to understand that it's not their fault. Right that they're in a bigger body. And we've got to address all of those things that led to it. And so it's not weight loss that we're, that we're offering. Um, it's not a diet that we're offering. Is it an undiet? That's the last definition. <laughs> I love it. Yes. What are, your, what are your thoughts on the undiet? Um, you know, I, I think that I think undiet and non-dieting anti-diet or anti-diet. Yeah. Like the, the thing about all of these terms is I would, I, I personally am like, yeah, Hey, I'm in your camp. I'm in your health at every size. I'm in your uh, undiet camp. I'm in your intuitive eating camp. Like I would love to camp with y'all, yeah. but the, the truth is these, those people don't want me. <laughs> They don't want me because I'm open to helping people lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I believe I'm doing it in a compassionate way. I believe that I'm not perpetuating harm from diet culture. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that in my heart. And I've done some pretty epic soul searching around it. You can ask my mm -hmm. best friends and my counselors <laughs> and my husband, right? Like I truly believe I'm not doing harm. And, and yet there are those who believe that anytime you're pursuing weight loss or helping others pursue weight loss, you're doing harm. And so, so, you know, those, those circles like reject me in the work I'm doing and that's okay. You know, I don't have a chip on my shoulder about it. I see where they're coming from. I see how they're serving people in a way that needs to be served. And again, I think it does come back to privilege where, you know, uh, yeah, I think it comes, it does come back to, to privilege and that I don't need to say all dieting is harmful. That, that has not been my experience as a dietitian, uh, as a practitioner and as a person uh, living in my own body. And so, yeah, I, I choose not to, to diet and I actually don't put people on diets. It's, it's more of the intuitive eating side of things. And yet, uh, and yet I am someone, a practitioner with the word diet in my name. I'm a registered dietitian. <laughs> yeah, right. And I can say from my point of view as a woman who is, you know, still, classified by my doctor and I hate this term and I'm doing everything I can to have it eliminated from the medical lexicon, a morbidly obese, yes. right? That, that is how I am described by my family physician in my medical records. And I have definitely been traumatized by the diet industry. There is not a method out there to lose weight that I have not tried. Um, aside from weight loss medications and surgery, I've never, never gone down that road. Don't intend to. That's a whole other different discussion. But the methods that I have learned and that I now teach feel kind, mm -hmm. gentle, 
people in my life notice a difference in my whole demeanor. Like who cares what my body looks like? I'm a happier human being. I'm more fulfilled um, in my life. I have a closer relationship with my husband. I'm getting promoted at work. Um, wonderful things are happening because through the work that I teach, because I do everything that I teach, I have just come to this place where I'm able to see myself a little bit more clearly. And I'm I'm in a place where I can, can now start to make healthier decisions for myself. And I have never felt healthier in body, mind, and spirit. And so I don't believe that I'm doing harm um, to anybody either by teaching the tools um, that I teach. And Cassie, I think that was the whole point of wanting to have this discussion today was to show that there is this middle ground. Yeah. Right. There is a middle ground between the all or nothing dieting and diet culture, and you have to be small in order to be happy and healthy, or you have to not care about your weight at all in order to be happy and healthy. And we're saying uh, there's a way forward um, that 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 works for you. I, I think that what we're advocating is more of a customized, personalized solution mm -hmm. of really deciding of what feels good to you, what feels good in your body, what works for you, what works for your body exactly. uh, and, and living into that because that's what brings joy and eating with joy, you know, rather than either feeling restricted on the one hand or, you know, feeling like you're afraid you're going to go hog wild on the other hand, yeah. there, there is a place where you can learn to trust yourself and still make those consistently healthy choices and feel good in your body. Amen to that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Cassie, I think that is a perfect place to tie this off. <laughs> right? I think what we've accomplished here today is we've really explained all of the terms that are thrown out there um, in the weight loss world. We've shown that perhaps this all or nothing thinking in terms of either, you know, doing the diet culture thing where you're restricting and depriving and suffering versus the other end of the uh, spectrum where you just don't care mm -hmm. that there is this very beautiful, healthy, welcoming place that promotes true health in the full sense of the world, uh, word in the middle. And that's where you and I are trying to operate. Yeah, come join us, everyone. Yes, come join us. And Cassie, if people do want to come join you and learn more about the four pillars that <laughs> we've heard <laughs> interspersed throughout all of this, where can listeners find you? Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, folks can go to CassieChristopher.net forward slash free and they can grab my emotional eating roadmap. It's called You're Done Dieting But Still Want to Heal Emotional Eating. Uh, or you can join my private Facebook group, the Emotional Eating and Women's Wellness Community. Just type that into the search bar in Facebook and you'll find me. And I would love to chat with you in there. Um, or I'd love for you to take a look at that roadmap and get some help. <laughs> Excellent. I am going to join that Facebook group. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Let's right. promote this podcast. I will see you in there. Cassie, thank you so much. Do you have any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share before we sign off? 
you know what I wrote down something you said at some point, I wrote the word kind in capital letters and circled it. And so that, that spoke to me and something I've been saying to myself when I notice my own, you know, body uh, negative thoughts come up or, you know, beating myself up for not doing something that I, you know, preach, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. is I'm saying to myself, may I be kind. And that's made a big difference for me. And I offer that to the audience uh, that whatever you do for yourself, may it be something that is kind. And you can borrow that phrase. I got it from Dr. Kristen Neff you anyways. Sure did get it from Kristen Neff. I <laughs> use that one too. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Wonderful. I love it. Thank you so much, Cassie. There you have it, the interview with the lovely Cassie Christopher. I hope you got as much out of this interview as I did. This was one of the funnest interviews I've done, and I really enjoyed having this discussion about all the different movements within the weight loss industry. And hopefully by listening to this, you have found answers to some questions that you've had about weight loss and hopefully have come to see that there is a spectrum out there. There is literally a place for every woman who wants to work on her weight. And if you have any questions for either Cassie or I, please reach out to either of us at any time. You can find Cassie over at her website, CassieChristopher.net. And if you go to CassieChristopher.net forward slash free, you can download her free roadmap called You're Done With Dieting But Still Want to Heal Emotional Eating. You can also find Cassie over on Facebook at Cassie Christopher RD and Instagram as well. And of course, you know where to find me. I am at Ways of Health, or you can email me at michelle at waysahealth.com. And also know that we explore all of these issues. We find exactly the place where you need to be to feel safe and supported on your weight loss journey inside our Nurse Yourself Body and Mind group coaching program. So if you'd like to know more information about that, please go to my website, www.waysahealth.com, or reach out to me at any time. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode. If you have any questions about any of the things that we talked about, please reach out to either one of us. It is our goal to educate you and to really help you find the place where you feel safe to do the work on you that you need to do. All right. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.